Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Valentine, and joining me is Jacob Nielsen, as always. Um, Jacob, I think I already know the answer to this question because of the way football, basketball, and volleyball have been going, but how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought you'd say. It's a fun job to have right now. You know? It is a fun job to have right now. It's a good time to be an Aggie. I feel like we've been saying that since the Air Force game in football, but it's just still true. Like, it's just a good time to be an Aggie. It's a good year to be an Aggie, and I'm going to – I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm getting major 2018 vibes from this year. Um, that's a really good thing. Um, how are you feeling about just sports in general? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a good thing. Obviously, I'm going to give you a coaching, so you just got to gotta take it one day, one week at a time, you know. Exactly. Look at each matchup individually, but Coach Nelson, take a step back. Take a step back. Like, Aggie football is super exciting. I think the jury is still out on uh, on the hoops, but got to. I'm decided. <laughs> I'm decided. Um, we'll get to football. We'll get to hoops, but volleyball, dude. Bro, Rob, Rob Nielsen. Rob, he spells his last name wrong. I mean, my last name, Jacob Nielsen. He spells his wrong, but that's the one thing that he's doing wrong this season because USC Volleyball has taken the Mountain West by storm. They're 20-8 over and all, but they're 12-4 and in the conference after they got a big win last week. They're just one game behind Colorado State, who's 13-3 and with two games remaining in the regular season. Guess who they play on Thursday or today? Colorado State. Colorado State at home. So. Battle for first place, so they, the stakes can't be any higher for a regular season volleyball game. So that's uh, that's a really big one. We did uh, Mark Greenwood, one of our staff writers, did a feature on Christy Frank. She is a, a hitter, an outside hitter from Ukraine. She's a senior, and so watch her in her her last home stand for the Aggies. And uh, yeah, let's see if they can uh, win a regular season title here, which is incredible because. In the 2019 season, they won zero conference games. And in the abbreviated season, they started to turn it a little bit, but then now they've just taken off. So really phenomenal what the volleyball team's doing. And yeah. uh, no, they, They've been really, really good. And I, I want to I draw some attention to Rob Nielsen real quick because we've talked about him a little bit kind of here and there throughout the season because he's been, he's been doing an amazing job. We've talked a lot about um, really just the John Hartwell effect, right? We have Rob Nielsen who came in, and this is his second year technically, but his first year was torn apart by COVID. Um, we also had Manny Martins come in in his first year, had a lot of success. Um, Rob Nielsen, he's, he's one of those coaches, like, we're not just saying this stuff. Like, he's an established coach. He came here with, um, like, 15, I, I think almost 15 years of coaching experience. Um, he came, he's coached Team USA for volleyball. I mean, this guy, he's... He was a solid, solid hire by the John Hartwell leadership group with um, Jerry Bovey and Noel Cockett is probably pretty involved with like the final say in some of those decisions. But the way John Hartwell's been running this athletics department and you know more specifically the way Rob Nielsen's been coaching this volleyball team has been super impressive. So I'm stoked about the future of volleyball. You know, we talk about Manny Martins and soccer. I'm stoked about the future of soccer. I mean, it's it's a great time to be an Aggie. It really is. So. Rob Nielsen really doing a great job from Team USA to Utah State University here in Logan, and he's he's doing a great job. Hopefully we get that win against Colorado State, get that first place, get that regular season, get that regular season title. Yeah, and if uh, if you haven't made it to the SS Center for a volleyball game, this will be a good one to go to. It's a fun environment in there, obviously. It's kind of like a high school gym, like the, the stands and stuff, but people show up. There's always football players there supporting and – People from the community come out to these games, and so yeah. it's it's oh, exciting. Yeah. I've been to I've been to quite a few, and they're never boring. They're never empty. I mean, they're people show up to to support the volleyball team as they should, um, especially this year because they're playing so well. But yeah, let's let's make sure you're you're at that game uh, today. If you're listening to this in the morning, uh, make sure you're you're getting out there to the SS Center because uh, it's going to be an entertaining one against um, Colorado State battle for first place, I mean, it's going to be huge. Like, like Jacob said, the the stakes don't get much higher for a regular season game. Seems like I love the, the Colorado State-Utah State matchup, just like across all our sports. All sports they always good. seem really good. Like soccer, they had the quarterfinal in the tournament against Colorado State, and then they eked that one out before they lost to New Mexico, unfortunately. But this big volleyball game, obviously football goes without saying that game's always crazy. It's always 
all of a sudden their hoops team is among the best and we had some awesome battles against them last year and i it's it's fun yeah it's kind of cool because they're the they're the ag school of uh of colorado and the, the aggie rejects one might say they, they used to be <laughs> aggies but they couldn't hang so that's right that's right but there's there's a lot of similarities because like they're in Fort Collins, which is kind of a big town, but not really. It's like a stone's throw away from Denver, so not really in the metro. But you know, and kind of similar to Logan, like we're not on the Wasatch Front, but we're we're around, and that just seems like yeah. the two programs got a lot of similarities. So it's yeah. fun when yeah. they're. I've always said that you kind of have like that. The state of Colorado and the state of Utah, you kind of have like a similar at the collegiate level. You have like a similar vibe because you have. The flagship university that plays in the Pac-12. For us, it's the University of Utah. For them, it's Colorado Bucks. And then you have the state school that's an ag school, Utah State, Colorado State. And then you, in both states, have this random private school. One is religious. One is uh, through the armed forces where you have BYU here and Air Force there. Like, it kind of creates a similar dynamic in both states. And, like, we're the Colorado State of Utah, and they're the Utah State of Colorado in a lot of ways. So it's really similar. It's really fun, like... Like you said, it's it's a blast playing them in, in all sports. Football is the one that's the craziest and the, just the weirdest, but we have kind of a fun little Mountain West rivalry brewing with them, I think. Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't vote for the American, though. Um, they're great, great squad for the, the, the conference. And they're, they're good to have in the conference, I agree. Football, basketball, flagship sports, the, the Olympic sports, like they're just they're just solid. I'm glad, I'm glad they stuck around. Um, that's a different conversation, the, the Mountain West surviving. <laughs> Um, for now, at least. Um, but yeah, let's. So, so volleyball on the verge of regular season title. Um, basketball just barely starting. Women's and men's. Women's is two and one right now. Um, Jacob, what are you seeing from Kayla Ard? In let's let's also note Kayla Ard, a very fresh coach at Utah State. This is her second year. Um, just like Rob Nielsen, first year was ravaged by COVID. Didn't have any recruits. Kayla Ard now has more of her systems in place. More of her recruits in place in her second year covid's not as much of a, of a factor what are you seeing on the women's side because i'm i'm stoked with everything i'm seeing two and one right now yeah we've we'll have, have a couple of features dropping here in the next couple of weeks and going in the winter preview sports magazine about kayla art and the women's basketball team and to be honest with you i'm not impressed with how these first three games of the season have gone necessarily the westminster game was they were losing a lot of that game. They were Division II school, and they were able to eke it out in the end. And then I think beating Cal State Fullerton at home, that's a nice win. But then on Tuesday night, they didn't show too much fight against uh, against Cal, which it's a tall order going on the road to a Pac-12 school. Pac -12, yeah. But the thing that I do like that's exciting to see is how some of the transfers that she brought in have made an immediate impact. The one that I will mention is Kaylin Randhawa. She yeah. came from Pacific. She dropped 28 points on Saturday last week in the comeback win over Cal State Fullerton. And so, yeah, to see girls be playmakers, right? And then you drop 28 points in a game against a Division One school. And so that's that's good to see that yeah. they have some – because last year it was hard for different people on the offense to really step up and just kind of take a game over. And so yeah. if maybe if we have – we have Kaylin, if she's able to do this, or other girls as the season progress can step up, that's – going to really help them hang in games just getting the ball in the hoop which they struggled to do to do last year yeah. right no um I, I, that's fair i mean they're they haven't done anything crazy i mean two and one um had, had they gone three and oh with the win against cal on the road that's a different story but i'm kind of with you i'm certainly not unimpressed though um to go out and have a winning record is always a good thing and i think we're going to learn more about this team coming uh Moving forward, they play Loyola Marymount coming up here tomorrow. Um, and so that'll be another game. That's at home. That'll be another game where we kind of start to start, start to put together what this team is made of. But um, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that team going forward and the future of that team under Kayla Ard. Like you said, whether it's or, you know, whether it's now or in the future, I mean, they're definitely on upward trajectory. So I'm stoked for them. Uh, on the men's side, I know there's a lot more talk about the trajectory of the men's team i know i might disagree with a lot of people out there um just in terms of i think they are still on an upward trajectory like i said this like at the top of the show for me the jury is not out i think the men's team is going to be just fine um, i know we might differ a little bit i 
I'm kind of the the blind optimist sometimes <laughs> in, in all things. Seemed to work out for you so far. <laughs> it's worked out for me so far. I've been talking about Utah State football playing in the Mountain West Championship game since we beat Air Force. So, you know, we'll talk about that later <laughs> in the show. But, hey, that, that looks more and more likely every game. But let's talk about that men's team, men's hoops, underway, a win against Richmond. I talked about it on the Monday morning show. It's not like a marquee win. It's, not, it's nothing huge, but it's the A-10. The A-10 is a pretty solid basketball conference. They usually are. Um, I'm not sure that it's enough to erase the loss against UC Davis, but I mean, if you were to if you were to look at the first two games of the season and say, "Hey, you're going to go one and one," most Aggie fans wouldn't have been too disappointed in that. I think what got people is it's you know we switched the game that we should have we should have yeah, beat for UC sure. Davis for sure. So, how are you feeling about the men's team after just two games? Let's do your way too early <laughs> on the men's team. What are, what they're looking like. Well, one thing I will say is I'd argue that that Richmond win is a marquee win because it's the first win of the Ryan Odom era. Um, and Richmond, they were picked to finish second in the, in the A-10, and that's a multi-bid league. And so they're yeah. expected to be a tournament team, right? Now, maybe this could be a situation like Northern Iowa last year. They were expected to be a tournament team. Utah State beat them in an early season tournament, and we're like, that's a huge win. And then Northern Iowa just kind of had a – had an awful season and so it ended up not being a great resume building win but I don't think that's going to be the case against with the Spiders I think that that's going to stay as a really high quality win on a neutral court for the whole season but as marquee as that game was it was an abysmal loss to UC Davis and from thinking about it from just a a week-to-week standpoint and the development of this team I don't think you need to worry about it too much UC Davis they have two preseason big Big West players of the year, and they they've looked good in other games so far. And so, like they're going to be a good team. And 60 minutes in the first game of the season, where those guys made some incredible shots down the stretch to beat Utah State, you can't read into it too much. But if you're thinking big picture and thinking building a resume for the tournament, loss is terrible because that yeah. it's either going to be a quad three or a quad four loss, almost guaranteed. And just to start the season kind of digging yourself a grave a little bit is it's something that can't be erased and so yeah so but yeah it's one good one bad and so yeah what are your thoughts so yeah i think like you said it can't be erased but it can be evened out you know if we go and beat byu on the road um for example or st mary's at home if we beat st mary's at home go and beat byu in back-to-back games that could be something that helps the committee overlook that loss and even out the loss but nothing's going to erase it. And like you said, we can hope for that to be a quad three loss, but it's probably going to be a quad four loss. And so the UC Davis loss, as much as it hurts our bubble resume and all that, watching the game, there was nothing painful about that game. I mean, there was just, I mean, there, there was, right? Because, <laughs> because you would watch and the game, the game they were playing was so good, but the shots just weren't falling. And so I guess in a way that was what made it painful, but... You could watch that team, and you could just tell that for the first game under a new head coach where you lost three starters and eight players overall, you knew you were going to have kind of a rocky start, but I think we just hoped that even with all that going on, you'd still find a way to beat an inferior opponent. And so where that doesn't happen, it it hurts a little bit. It's definitely going to hurt the resume, but I've watched, you know, I watched the game, and it really just came down to, like, good shots just weren't falling, and that's not going to happen throughout this season. I mean, the good shots are going to fall. And so I think the game plan, the personnel, everything is fine. It was just it was just one of those nights, man, you know, and, and those happen. So I don't want to read too much into the UC Davis loss uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, but I also don't want to brush it under the rug from a resume standpoint because it's kind of a big deal on the resume, but I didn't watch that game and I, I wasn't worried throughout that. Here's one thing that I am worried about, and maybe this goes against I'm not worried about the X's and O's of that game, which I'm not necessarily, but it might be an indication of something to come. The shots weren't falling, and they they lost the game. Last year, the shots didn't fall the entire season, and they still won 20-plus games, right? And so I'm just concerned, does this team have the defensive tenacity? Obviously, they don't have Nini, right? So that's the biggest thing, but does this team have the defensive tenacity 
to really shut somebody down when they need to. And that's the question that why, why I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I think the jury's still out on this Aggie team because I don't know if defensively they have the ability to just lock teams down. And that was something last year they, they could hang their hat on. So if mm-hmm. Marco or Raleigh or someone wasn't having any offensive production, they could still get stops and be in games. And yeah. this year, even against Richmond, Richmond, I mean, they scored 70-plus points against Utah State, right? Like, it took a Herculean effort from Justin Bean and Brandon Horvath to win that game. And you you can expect Bean to give a Herculean effort every game because that's what he does. But that's not going to mean he's going to score 30 points every game. And so, every game, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely see what you're saying. I agree with you. Um, and that's kind of what we've talked about going into this season is, like, yeah, the shots didn't necessarily fall last year, but you had Mimi Keita underneath the basket just eating glass, you know, getting all those rebounds, getting putbacks. I mean, with the front court with Justin Bean and, and Mimi Keita, we were getting all the rebounds, we were getting all the putbacks. Don't forget Marco Anthony, Marco who's Anthony a beast on the offensive boards. Yeah, so we had all those guys getting the rebounds, getting those putbacks, and so it goes down to what we've talked about is, like, we're not going to replace Kata. We can't play the same brand of basketball as we did last time, so we do need the shots to fall. And when the shots do fall, we're going to drop 85 on a team like Richmond. And so I think from my perspective, it's just that we can't count on the shots to not fall. Like, I think we can count on the shots to go in because we have so many guys on the team that are really good on the offensive side. We have some proven scorers. And so I think it does take – a completely different style of play like we're gonna have to boat race teams to win we can't you know if we don't score 70 points we're probably gonna lose a lot of games but if we can go out there and score 85 90 we'll just outscore the opponent and I think that's where it's just gonna look different this year we've talked about that you know it's gonna be a completely different brand of basketball it's gonna be so much fun to watch it just is, yeah. these guys are gonna go out there and it, it's not that the effort level is gonna be different this year but they're gonna have to find different ways to win and that's yeah, just an offensive way. overload right and so just watching these guys just kind of putting the pedal to the metal which yeah. they didn't really do against uc davis but they 100 percent did against richmond seeing them do that game in and game out hopefully it pays dividends but it's going to be it's just going to be fun to watch yeah. them you need to outscore the opponent by one and whether that comes from offense defense or a combination of both it works so i i think it's it's going to look completely different but. yeah we certainly are oversimplifying things to an extent um Obviously, they're still going to battle on defense, but the margins of error in college basketball is slim, and they don't really have anyone. Maybe Trevin Dory can be this with his length and stuff, but they don't really have anyone on the defensive end that's going to be a difference maker that's going to make a Colorado State team that will average 70, 80 points a game that's going to change that outcome, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you have, like, Brock Miller on the perimeter who you can force a team to take less threes. And you can force a team to take inefficient shots and things like that. But like sure. you said, like we don't have Mimi's Keita down low to prevent somebody from taking layups. But if we can chase somebody off the line and force them to trade threes for twos, you know. And, and like, like you said, we're oversimplifying it. I think the defense is fine. But I think sure. we're just going to see an explosion of offense from this team. Because the, the biggest difference from like last year to this year is the shots weren't falling last year and it was okay. This year, the shots are going to fall. I mean, we, we talk about shooters and, like, scorers on this team, and that's one thing I wanted to focus on, too, is, like, we, we talked about it on Monday in the Monday morning show, which I guess is a Tuesday morning show this week, um, but Justin Bean's scoring 30, like, I don't think it's going to happen very often, but not because Justin Bean isn't good enough, just because it's not going to have to happen a lot. And Justin Bean proving that he can go out and score 30, I mean, that makes, that makes our starting lineup very, very lethal on the offensive side of the ball, right? And so Justin Dean was, I think, the one guy who people may have had questions about offensively, and he just dropped a 30-piece. Yeah, no, it's, it's huge that he played the way that he did. And yeah, he's not just some scrappy put-back bro anymore. Like yeah, he's, he's not just a rebounder. He's the centerpiece. We knew he was going to be the centerpiece of the team from yeah. a defensive and leadership and – maybe even a rebounding perspective, but exactly. but now he might be, he showed against Richmond, he might be the go-to guy. When we need a, bu- a bucket, he's going to get it. I mean, he, he was 11 si- from 16 from the field. He was three for four from three-point range. Like, yeah. his stroke obviously isn't pretty, but I, no judgment here, my stroke ain't 
ain't pretty, Justin. Like I, I got classic push shot. I mean, but it goes in, you know. And so yeah, you know what is pretty is when it goes in. That's right. It doesn't matter where it came from as long as it's going in. So I think it's pretty. And also to your point, there were guys that should have better offensive production that did not show that against Richmond. R.J. Ellerock, he only put up one shot, and he had he had six points. So he put up one field goal and then got fouled a bunch. And so yeah. he's somebody that will be getting going. That's kind of just slow start, just adjusting to the new team and stuff. And then exactly. Brock Miller was two for eight, zero for two, four points, and he'll have his nights. He's not he's not going to drop. He's not going to average double digits most likely. Yeah. But he's going to have his nights when he got, does get 16 or 17 points yeah. for you, right? And that's the thing about Brock is he shoots so many threes that if he just hits three or four shots, he's looking at 9 to 12 points, and suddenly it's a game changer. And, and that's the great thing about the way this offense is, is stacked. Like you said, RJ and Brock both had kind of a down night. You can afford two guys to have a down night when Justin Bean can go out and score 30. And I think that's the part that people didn't see coming. I think teams thought if we can shut down Brock Miller, if we can shut down RJ Idlerock, we're going to win this game, and then Justin Bean comes out and says, not so fast, because yeah. I'm also capable of scoring 30. Like, I look at our top five guys, top six, if you include Stephen Ashworth, uh, top six offensive guys, any of those guys could score 20, 30 points. Yeah, I, the 30, the, it takes something special, but certainly the, the 20, 20 I mean, a lot of them are capable of. Getting 20, and then if sure. the stars align, I mean, I, you yeah. wouldn't be surprised if any of those guys dropped a 30-piece, you know. But it, it consistently, they're going to be in the 10s to 15s to 20s, which in the college game is, is huge. And, like, any of those guys is completely capable of doing that. I have a slightly off-topic, semi-on-topic trivia question for you. Yeah. What individual recorded 16 rebounds last Saturday in a game against Sacramento State? Oh, I have no idea. I don't even know who played Sacramento State last week. The University of Utah played Sacramento State last week. Uh-oh. Was it Marco? Marco Anthony. He had 16 rebounds. We can't we can't say this is a Marco Anthony podcast because he's he's not an Aggie anymore. But Jacob Nielsen is a Marco Anthony supporter still. <laughs> his his whole he got this NIL deal with Bed and Breakfast, and he's got this whole four for four thing, and he just jumps out of the gym and yeah, I, I respect the dude, you know. So hope hoping he can have success. But I just I just saw that because I was we were, we I'm, we mentioned him and I looked it up, and he had 16 rebounds and. In one game as a guard, so that's crazy. Yeah, no, he, he is good, and he's gonna he's gonna have some success at the college level. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because real quick, I want to talk about one thing before we move into football, which will take uh, probably the rest of our the rest of our show as football is starting to get real high stakes and look really really good for uh, for Utah State. I wanted to talk a little bit about the recruiting at Utah State and kind of in the state because the big news coming out of this past week is that the Ryan Odom coaching staff was able to flip Mason Foslev, and that's a huge get for Utah State. He's currently out on his mission. He's a, he's a Cache Valley kid, went to Skyview, was committed to the U, and flipped to Utah State. Huge get for Utah State. And as a smaller point to everything else going on, like that's good for Utah State, but as, a, as another point, Colin Chandler also flipped from the U to BYU. Colin Chandler was one of the highest-rated recruits in the state of Utah, was committed to the U, flipped to BYU, signed at BYU, and is one of the highest recruits in BYU's history in, what, 10 to 15 years. I think ever. I think he's the highest recruit BYU's ever gotten, yeah. So something's definitely going on, and it's benefiting Utah State so far. What do you think is going on in the state? What's what's going on with those two? Well, I think with, with Mason Fallsliff, I don't think, that you got to overthink it necessarily. I think that he has a really close relationship with Ryland Jones and right. Jones's dad, and so that him leaving Utah for Utah State played a big role in Mason deciding, hey, I want to go back and be an Aggie. Yeah. And obviously, Coach Eric Peterson and Craig Smith up there on the hill, they're kind of they're kind of d- down bad right now, I'd imagine, because they had they had that Chandler kid in the the palm of their hands and then just went awry. And that's I think. I think the problem with University of Utah is it's just not a basketball school, and they can become a basketball school in the sense that if they win a lot of games, then people will show up in February to watch them play Arizona if Arizona happens to be a top ten team. Like that, like they don't, 
people don't go to the, their games and Craig Smith is going to come in with his raw, raw energy and maybe boost up the ticket numbers. But Maybe get the capacity to 10%? If, if he's 15, lucky. 15% on the Huntsman Center? But that, that's the thing is I think Colin Chandler, like he notices like, man, like down there at Brigham Young and just – a November game against San Diego State, they had 17,000 fans and filled their student section. And, yeah. you know, and that w- you would rather just strictly from uh, what's going to be more fun playing in an arena that has a tarp over the upper deck <laughs> or playing in this massive venue that nearly fills it. And I think that goes to Utah it's State's. Full of UVU kids that they bust in. <laughs> but hey, they're still, still warm bodies <laughs> in the crowd. They're still making what noise. What talking to, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, Utah State, I think, is on the right end of that of one of the selling points is the atmosphere and stuff. And so, yeah, and that to Utah's losses is uh, Utah State's gain. So, And like I said, the bigger the bigger story coming out of that is the Mason False Love signing. And I think, like you said, he was – I think he was more of just opportunistic. He was committed to the U, just like Ryland Jones was playing at the U. And when the opportunity presented itself to play Utah State instead – come back home, play for the Aggies. I think that was something that he was going to take. Um, so I don't want to read too much into it, but I will say I'm glad that Coach Smith's recruiting woes are happening when he's not the coach at Utah State. I'm glad that he's falling apart in Salt Lake rather than <laughs> So happy to see that. So, yeah, so Utah State moving on. We'll be um, playing in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. We got game one against Penn on today, right? Yep. And then tomorrow we'll play... Some other team. The winner of we'll play the winner of Davidson and New Mexico State. And then on Sunday we'll play, hopefully in the championship game of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Uh, but regardless, we'll have three games yeah. out of this Invitational. It'll be Thursday, Friday, Sunday. And you say the winner of New Mexico State Davidson. That's if we beat Penn. Oh yeah, three, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's right. That's right. Three opponents throughout the week: Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Game one against Penn. After that's to be determined. So um, that'll be a lot of fun. Anything else on that? We're going to learn a lot more about this team. Just a three-game sample size in four days is just so much information. And so just we're going to try to soak it all up and watch as many minutes of basketball as we can. And, uh, yeah, see uh, see what guys step up, who's consistent, and, yeah, see if they defensively they can play better. So we have that great tournament coming up almost for from a fan perspective. It's just nonstop basketball. It might feel a little bit like March. And that is kind of a big – point of why we play these uh, early season tournaments, or maybe not the maybe not the point, but a part of the reason they're so important is because the committee weighs these games really heavily. When they're putting together the at-large bids and putting together the seeding, they really like teams that can win in tournament settings. And so, for Utah State, where we don't have a history of winning games in March, things like this really help prove that this is a team that can win in tournament, uh, tournament settings, win games in back-to-back games, um, you know, all that stuff. So, Ryan Odom has a pretty good history in March. Utah State's program does not. So, if we can go in and win these games, and if we win the Myrtle Beach Invitational, the championship, doesn't really mean anything, you know, beyond having the Myrtle Beach Invitational championship, but the committee might look at those games a little bit differently. So, it is it is meaningful basketball. It's always fun when you're playing meaningful basketball in November. So, that should be a huge, that should be a huge tournament. It'll be fun to watch, if nothing else. Do you know what else is fun to play meaningful games in in November? Football. Football. It is fun to play meaningful games of football in November. It oh, is yeah. so fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this is quite the experience. I mean, 28, 2018, they were playing meaningful games in November. But yeah. um, there's a big game this week. 2019, not so much. Not so much. In 2020, the year we don't speak of. Other than to show how Te- unbelievable this year is. Technically, there were meaningful games in November last year. Because, actually, no, I take that back. They were 0-2 before they even got to November. I was going to say, I thought that the, I thought the season started in November for a second. No. But they were already 0-2 before they got to November. So. There um, was nothing meaningful about <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, got, I had a chance to talk to A.J. Vombachan yesterday. Um, the man, linebacker for Utah State. And he... He was just, he's like, I feel like every game, we take these games one week at a time, but he said, I, I feel like the magnitude of these games raises every time 
we keep winning. Well, the, yeah, the games just yeah. keep getting bigger and bigger. Absolutely. And then he, he also mentioned his freshman year was 2019. He's like, I've never experienced this playing what to to our point meaningful football meaningful football in November, and so just the players are really really stoked for this opportunity. And and let's also just like for the record, I mean, 2019 wasn't bad. Like we were bowl eligible, we played in a bowl that year, but like meaningful football to the point where like we are playing for a spot in the Mountain West Championship game, and not only that, like we're playing for a chance to host. If we win out. We only need a little bit of help to have the championship game be played in Logan. If we went out, we don't need any help to be playing. So, like, that's, like, a whole new level of meaning where even in 2019, we were okay. We were, you know, fighting to be bowl eligible. We were playing in a bowl that year. But, yeah, just this whole new level of meaning. And even in 2018, we were, you know, that was one of the best teams Utah State has ever seen. But the path just didn't present itself for us to be playing in the Mountain West Championship game because we lost to Boise State, Boise State who ran the table. And so this year where we lost to Boise State again, but they've, they've lost two, yeah. they're out, They're out. you know, they're done. We beat Air Force, the only other team that's in contention. I mean, the, the stars are really kind of aligning for us, but it's hard to say the stars are aligning when we're doing our part as well. I mean, we are playing unbelievably good football. We just beat the reigning champs. 48 to 17, I mean, there's not a whole lot of luck going on, really. I mean, that's part of it. That's always part of sports. But Utah State football, if they're doing their part to make sure that they control their own destiny, and if they don't play in the championship game at this point, it's on them. They've done everything they need to do. The opportunity's presented itself, and they're on course. They're on course to be playing in the championship game, and that's super fun. Yeah, this, this week... Uh, it's a big shift in my perspective because I've been hesitant and I know you were cheering the other week you were cheering for Boise State to to beat somebody I think it was Fresno State yeah and I was yeah, like absolutely. I was like no like I don't need breathing room. and I was like I want Boise to lose that game because it gives Utah State they can still lose a game they don't need to lose and it, but after that San Jose State game that I realized like oh they're not, they're not losing in the regular yeah. season yeah. and going into that San Jose State game I definitely had some concern, and part of it was because San Jose State was looking up because Nick Starkle, he came back for the Nevada game the week before and looked all right coming off of injury, and they almost beat Nevada. And then last weekend, Nick Starkle, he starts, plays the majority of the snaps against Utah State. And and Utah State, I'm just concerned with their offensive line. And Jacob South, he's he's in a boot right now. Like, I don't know if he's going to play against Wyoming, but – they held strong in that game, and that was the best football they played. Even Coach Anderson said so yeah. right after the game, but yeah. just complete annihilation. Espe- yeah. On the defensive yeah. side of the ball. Especially on defense. Yeah. Exactly. Especially on defense. And we, we talked about that uh, on Monday, and I don't want to harp too much on the Logan Bonner pick six and then the fumble, but it's worth bringing up because it just shows how good the defense was. The defense gave up three hard-earned points. The first seven came from a pick six and an extra point. The other one came from Logan Bonner fumbling on our own 38, um, and you can't expect the defense to hold them there. You can hope they do, but, you know, they didn't. So for the defense to just go out and completely dominate, basically only give up three points, and then even on the offensive side, outside of those two mistakes that just happened to be costly and happened to come right at the same time, Logan Bonner threw, like, what, four, four touchdowns? And, you know, to run up 48 on a team that hasn't given up more than 40. They've only given up 30 points three times before this game. I mean, a pretty decent defense, and to just run the score up on them. There's not a whole lot to complain about other than those two mistakes that happen to be really costly and cost us 14 points. And usually, you know, usually you can get it away with fumbling the ball, and it doesn't cost you seven points. Usually you can get away with throwing an interception, and it doesn't cost you seven points. But outside of that, it was the most complete game start to finish and probably the best football we've played all year. Yeah, for a, for a moment, I want to talk about Logan Bonner and just what he's done. Devin Tompkins, deservedly so, has gotten the most of the attention because he's on pace for a record-breaking season. He's he's the best player on the team. <laughs> there, was a tweet, there was a tweet after the UNLV game where this is just how my mind goes, and so I'm just talking now, but there was a tweet after the UNLV game that it showed like a trailer park or something, and then there was like a like a Ferrari in front of the trailer park, and it was a meme, and it like said like 
Devin Tompkins was the Ferrari, and then like Utah State was the trailer park, yeah. and that's almost how it felt after that UNLV game because <laughs> like that. But now, yeah. the whole team's looking like a Ferrari, yeah, no, and uh, yeah. and it's and Logan Bonner is a big part of that. He has back to back to back four touchdown games against Hawaii, New Mexico State, and San Jose State, and obviously Tompkins changes so much because there are he has so many targets, but the wide receiver group is so so deep Derek Wright has been unbelievable this year Justin McGriff has really improved I don't remember Justin McGriff dropping a a ball in the 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 past couple of games and beginning of the season that's all he did was just it would bounce off his hands right yeah and I know Logan Bonner's having a ton of fun he he got this NIL deal the other week and he took out the entire offensive line to dinner at Kabuki he just he bought the whole offensive line dinner Right, and so this is a dude that he's Logan's loving life and Logan, and he's throwing touchdown passes and they're winning. So, and he's also he's taking a beating out there every week. He is. It looked like he might have broken a, a rib against San Jose State or something, but well, that's the thing about Logan Bonner is like, for some reason he just gets so like he gets hit so hard. I don't know why, like when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. He doesn't always get hit, but when he does, hard, it's man. hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is an interesting thing. Like we've talked about it. Where, like, he'll get hit, you know, just kind of like a normal amount, but they'll go to the video board, like, four times a game to, like, see if it was targeting. Just because, for some reason, when people get to him, they're just lighting him up. And it's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate habit for Logan Bonner to have where he just gets <laughs> gets smoked, uh, you know, so many, not so many times a game. But when he gets hit, he gets hit really hard. And so, he's tough as nails, though. I mean, he's... Absolutely. I, I, I got to say, like, Logan Bonner... One thing that shows how good Logan Bonner is and how good he's getting at this point is you look at um, receiving yards and the receiving numbers this game. De- uh, Devin Tompkins, who is kind of the easy guy to throw to, only got five receptions and didn't score a touchdown. Like, that's just showing how well Logan Bonner is learning how to use the entire offense. Derek Wright bringing in two, uh, Brandon Bowling bringing in one, and then Savon Scarver coming in with the other one so like Devin Tompkins who still is like the best receiver on the team in the conference one of the best in the nation like Logan Bonner is finding ways to get other guys involved and that's something that I think has improved throughout the season as well like he's able to settle in and find guys that aren't named Devin Tompkins and that's what makes it I think really important yeah and a lot of that is because of Devin Tompkins that he opens it up for everybody else but yeah, I think that Logan Bonner is – I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm some scout XO guy that just is a wizard on football, but his vision ha- has improved so much. Like, yeah, he doesn't have tunnel vision, right? To your point, he he does make multiple check downs and really see what his options are. And in this offense with, with DT and the way that they run it schematically, if you do your job and if he has enough time to throw, someone's going to get open. And so that's that's been happening, and it's uh, it's paid dividends. That's how you score forty eight on the reigning champs. You haven't given up forty all year. Kate Hall was Kate Hall was the preseason defensive player of the year, and they he was a, like hardly he was a no factor. Like yeah. so, yep, that's what happens. So Utah State football is seriously on a roll. Um, one of the best seasons we've had. You know, ten games into the season, being eight and two, it's. Not unheard of. Like let's let's make sure we remind ourselves of the success we've had in the past. I mean, I'm afraid we fall into that trap sometimes, especially with basketball, um, where we we act like Utah State basketball was a barren wasteland before <laughs> Coach Smith, right? Like Utah State basketball has had years and years and years and years of success. Utah State football is the same way. I mean, ever since the turn of the century or the ever since 2010, um, we've been really good, and so. It feels good to be back where we are, but you know, let's let's be honest. Like U- Utah State football is back. This isn't something. This isn't something new. And I'm I'm also trying not to like downplay what Blake Anderson has done and what these guys have done. What they've done is unbelievable. I mean, they're coming off of such a hard year last year, to being eight to looking at you know looking at a conference championship game dead in the face, and you know it's it's amazing. But Utah State football is just. Like I said, it, th- this whole year is just giving me 2018 vibes, and hopefully that can continue. The football's already like exceeded expectations, and like they've done their part to just make this such a fun year to beat Utah State. But hopefully that can continue. 
our next two games are Wyoming at home, New Mexico on the road. Like we've mentioned, if we win out, we're playing the Mountain West Championship game. San Diego State only needs to lose one to either Boise State or UNLV, and that game's going to be played in Logan. So that kind of thing, like that aspect of, of Utah State football is is kind of unheard of. I mean, we've never been um, looking at hosting a Mountain West Championship game, or, or we haven't often been looking at hosting a Mountain West Championship game, and this is this is really special and it's been really fun. Yeah, the, the thing that changes it for now is I remember 2018, and they if they beat Boise, they would host that championship game. But that's the thing is they had to beat Boise. Yeah. And But right now there's no giant obstacle standing in the way between Utah State and the Mountain West Championship game. Um, and the way Boise State's looking right now, chances are they could go and beat the Aztecs, be right? Yeah, that'd be, and that'd be huge. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and the way Wyoming's just trending downward, they've, what, they're 0-5, and they're, they've just lost. They lost New, New Mexico, and New Mexico well, just they, loses. They started off so hot, and I could not, wrap my head around why people were so high on, on the Cowboys because they were they were winning games and at the end of the day that's all you got to do but their first game they beat Montana State by three and then just a few games later they beat UConn by two and at that point you got to wonder like what's actually happening here once they get to conference play right after that UConn game they lose four straight Air Force Fresno New Mexico San Jose they beat Colorado State oh that that's a quality win it's a quality win and then they lose to Boise so a quality win but you're one in five in conference. <laughs> and so, yeah, Wyoming definitely on the, if you want to call it a trend, you know, trending down. I don't know that you can call it that. I think it was just a weak strength of schedule and, and um, early on in the year. But, yeah, Wyoming is definitely not the team that some thought they would be coming into the season or even after those first four games. That's a winnable game. And then, of course, New Mexico is, is another winnable game. Um, at this point, obviously anything can happen. We could lose either or both of those games because that's what happens in college sports. But at this point, we're in the driver's seat. We control our own destiny. We're finally favored to win the rest of the games. I remember we've been on the show. I've been talking about the if we win out scenario since, like, going into UNLV. And I was like, I'm telling you guys, like, Utah State should be favored to win. And they were favored to lose against Colorado State. And I guess the, the – they were favored to lose at San Jose, I think. And, like, at some point you just have to realize, okay, Utah State's going to win games. And so at this point they're finally favored to win out. And, like, they're in the driver's seat. If they don't, if they don't win out, it's on them. And I, they should. Like, they are favored to win big time in these next yeah. games. The one thing I will say about Wyoming is they have a good enough defense that they're not going to get absolutely curb stomped by anybody. In the sense that they're not going to give up 48 points to Utah State, most likely. <laughs> the I mean, way San Jose State wasn't supposed to give up 48. No, they weren't. That's the thing. Um, but Wyoming, I, I mean, all these games have been close. They lost by 10 to Air Force. <laughs> the New Mex- Mexico game. Looking at that New Mexico game, that was a bad loss, 14 to three. And but then, uh, you know, so but that's the thing is maybe if Logan Bonner throws another pick six and the offense stalls a little bit and stuff like Wyoming could very well be in this game and give the Aggies some trouble. So it's not a foregone conclusion, Yeah, but it never is. It never, it never is. is. In football, especially yeah. like that Wyoming game with Utah State's always got a little bit extra. Yeah, that bridge of rifle, baby. Yeah, the rifle's got some extra uh, passion to it. And yeah, I mean, the Cowboys aren't just going to come to Logan and roll over. Um, they're going to come to play and, you know, Logan Bonner, I mean, we he showed us this week against San Jose State, two mistakes can be worth 14 points. And if we spot the Cowboys 14 points, where does that put us? And I think our defense is good enough to hang with anybody in the conference, especially anybody that we have left on our schedule in the conference. But, yeah, it's a great point. I mean, you get you can't spot these guys 14 points. I mean, yeah, I mean, the Utah State's defense, like, the way – if they play against Wyoming like they did against San Jose State, and they, they might – keep the Cowboys off the scoreboard. Like, that's a legitimate possibility yeah, just because... Wyoming could be looking at their second three-point game of the year. Yeah, like, they just... They, they don't have a quarterback. Xavion Valade, I think he's their their running back, bro, and he he's nice. But, like, they have not been able to put together complete games on the offensive side of the ball. 
And hey, Utah State, they're averaging, they've given up 17 rushing yards per game in the past three games. It's like 17. That's like somebody could bust loose for two seconds down the field and yeah. break that, right? Yeah. And so the, the way they're playing, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that uh, they, they should be able to shut them down and stuff. But if you are mistake-prone, that's when this game could become an issue. Yeah. And then just another note on Utah State's defense versus Wyoming's offense. In addition to only scoring three against New Mexico, they got shot out by Fresno. And so Utah State's defense, I think, is as good or better than New Mexico's, certainly. I mean, better. Um, and probably just as good as, you know, some of those other teams. Um, they only scored 13 against Boise and things like that. So, uh, you know, only scored 12 against Ball State. And <laughs> so, yeah, you take Utah State's defense could really cause some problems for Wyoming, like, big time. I mean, like you said, it wouldn't be unreasonable if Utah State plays their best ball for Wyoming to go scoreless or score three. Um, but they got to do play play a complete game start to finish at their highest capability. I said on Monday, if Utah State plays the way they did against San Jose State, we don't lose again all year, and that might even include a championship game, and it might include our bowl game, depending on who we play. Uh, Utah State's 48-17 to performance against San Jose State is good enough to play you know, the way they were playing is good enough to play anybody in the conference. I know that San Jose, I know that San Diego State, our likely opponent in the championship game, is way better than San Jose. But, I mean, a lot of people have been saying if Utah State gets to the championship game, they're just going to get blown out. I don't believe that for a second. Um, I think Utah State has what it takes to hang with anybody in the conference. And depending on the bowl matchup, you know, if they're playing like they did against San Jose State, things are looking really, really good. Yeah, there's a narrative we have to address. And that's that Utah State has kind of, they've been really lucky with the scheduling this year because they have avoided Fresno, Nevada, and San Diego State, right? And so some people are claiming, like, it's going to be a fluke, like they're just going to walk in. And there there were moments in the season, like, if they kept playing like they did, like, in the win over UNLV, then maybe it would have been a fluke. But how, how emphatically they beat Hawaii and how emphatically they beat San Jose State and we've seen we've seen the defense and the offense in spurts play really really well but until the Hawaii game we didn't see them play well together yeah. but now we've been seeing that the past couple of weeks and now anyone that's been watching watching Utah State knows that it's not a fluke and there's a good chance they'd be in contention even if they had to go play some of those big time schools in the west right and the great thing is if they do make the championship game they'll they'll have a chance to put all those doubts to rest if they can beat San, likely San Diego State, right? And so that, that's the thing is you control your own, own destiny, and on top of that, you have a chance to quiet everybody that says that you don't deserve to be here by yeah. beating San Diego State. Yeah, exactly. Not only does Utah State control their own destiny, they control the narrative going into these last two games, uh, two games of the regular season, four games of the season, uh, including a championship game and a bowl game. So... Utah State's quite literally in the driver's seat, and they have all the opportunity you could ask for in the world. But it's important to be in the moment and recognize that these seasons are special, right? Like, all these expectations that have been exceeded, and Devin Tompkins, he'll likely not be back next year, even though he has one more year of eligibility. And seeing a a guy like that and what he's done this year, um, this, this might be his last home game ever against Wyoming and Justin Rice. We're never going to see Cash Gilliam, Shaq Vaughn, guys that have been household Aggies. Like, so I also, it's it's really exciting to look forward to the future. But then like this, I think this, just these final two games, this Wyoming game at home is just, it's just massive with all the implications and just the, the senior class this year is so strong. Like so many of these guys are seniors that came back as kind of a, redemption tour from last year right and they've knocked it out of the park and so yeah that's what that's what I'm most excited for is is for the players and in the moment this season I think yeah exactly and that's exactly right and and like you're saying this this week is a huge week for Utah State not only you know what it'll be on the scoreboard but emotionally like to have a chance to go and um, you know show some respect for some of these guys that have been here since Jordan Love. I mean, there are guys that played here 
you know, Jordan Nathan comes to mind. He hasn't been used as much this year just because of, uh, you know, who knows what, to be honest with you. But he was one of Jordan Love's favorite targets. You know, he was on top of the world with the 2018 team. He stuck through it through 2019, 2020. Now we've got a, you know, we've got a chance to honor that kid. I mean, there's so many kids like that with just crazy stories and, like, how they ended up here. So it's a huge game for the program, but it's also a huge – it's a great opportunity for us to pack the Mav and – and just show some appreciation for the guys that have been working so hard for us for either one year, two years, five years even, some of these kids. So uh, hopefully we can sell some tickets and get that thing packed and rocking on Saturday. Um, so that's Utah State's game this weekend. Um, let's look real quick at the rest of the conference schedule. Um, Utah State's biggest game, obviously, against Wyoming. The second biggest game for Utah State, probably going to be that San Diego State-UNLV game because if they lose, um, that has pretty big repercussions for us. But let's, through the, let's run through the whole scoreboard. Um, it'll be Air Force at Nevada and San Diego State at UNLV on Friday. Those two games will be on Friday. Coming into Saturday, we have our slate of Wyoming and Utah State. We have New Mexico at Boise State, Colorado State at Hawaii. So, Jacob, understanding what's at stake here, um, I already kind of talked about the most relevant game for the conference championship. What's your must-watch of the game outside of Utah State, Wyo? Hmm. Oh, I'm thinking ah. – thinking it might be air force nevada just because those are two two of the top teams from each side of the divisions and so that and both of them technically are still in the hunt for a conference championship so and it's gonna that'll that'll be a fun game that one will be a blast i think the most important game is probably san diego state unlv if unlv can somehow beat uh san diego that'd be huge for utah state really gives us you know some reassurance that there might be a game they're, I mean, at that point, there probably will be a championship game played in Logan. So that one's the most important game, but I agree with you. Air Force at Nevada, that one's going to be an entertaining one. You kind of have arguably the second or third best team in each division um, kind of clashing there, so that one will be a fun one as well. Can I run through, get my final score predictions for these games? Take us away. Take I, us really quick, Air Force is going to lose to Nevada 28-17. to San Diego State will beat UNLV. It's going to be 17 to 3, and then Utah State will defeat Wyoming 24 to 10. New Mexico will lose to Boise. It's going to be 35 to 7, and Colorado State is going to lose to Hawaii. They're going to lose 42 to 31. All right. You heard it here first. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday to cover everything uh, that happens this week. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and go Aggies.